You're listening to WEHC 90.7. This is Art Speaks, a production of the William King Museum of Art, a free nonprofit uh, art museum in Abingdon, Virginia. We're open seven days a week, so stop by and come see the artwork. I'm your host, Charlotte Torrance, and today I'm speaking with the artist Maddie Cousil. How are you today, Maddie? I'm doing great. Awesome. So, Maddie, can you tell us what kind of artist are you? I work in textiles. Um, In particular, I weave on a tapestry loom and I dye things with natural dyes as well. So those are kind of my two mediums I I dabble in. That's great. So today we're to Maddie Cousil, a local textile artist, and you're based in Johnson City, correct? Yes. So can you tell us, did you first realize that you are an artist? That's a hard question, honestly, for me. I feel like it's often hobby. Um, And it's a pretty accessible in a lot of ways, especially nowadays with YouTube. And so I think I considered myself an artist and not someone who was just like playing around with, you know, felt like I could talk about kind of the composition of the textiles in a way that was educated and using, you know, correct lingo and stuff. Um, I studied fibers at East Tennessee State. It was my minor when I was in college. And so that was um, all of my classes on on a floor loom, which is a much more like mechanical type of weaving. And the structure and tension and things like that are much more, not important, but you have to focus really heavily on, I guess, like the fine-tuned aspects of making cloth. Whereas my tapestry loom, when I make tapestries, you know, they're very fluffy. I use a lot of color and texture and roving which is unspun yarn, so it's big fluffy pieces. And with those kind of pieces, the structure is less visible, whereas if you're just making cloth, you know, if your tension is off, it shows, and it won't be a piece with, you know, structural integrity, Mm -hmm. for example. So I think I felt like an artist for the first time when I could explain that to people and talk about, you know, oh, you're wearing a cotton shirt? Well, this is how that's made, you know, and knowing kind of how the structure of these commonplace items are made and can talk about it in an intelligent way. I hope I just did that. <laughs> I think you did, yeah. Thank I you. think that's an interesting answer because it's that's a difficult question. And when I ask people, it usually connects back in some way to confidence mm-hmm. with identifying yourself as an artist. And yeah. in a way, that's a form of that confidence is the ability to explain your material making, yeah. your production yeah. to people. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess it was Yeah, when I felt confident for the first time. And being able to talk about it more just like, oh, it's just fun and I just like to make pretty things. You know, I could be like, oh, this is, yeah, the structure of it or the terminology used and kind Mm -hmm. of geek out about it. Yeah. So what's your um, connection to fiber arts? Like how did you get started being a fiber artist like early on? I got my start. It all kind of ties back to my mom. My mom and my grandma are both artists. My grandma is a self-taught oil painter, household with a very artistic mother and it was back in the 70s so they did any type of craft that was popular you know they did it together and then they ended up moving to Easton my mom was a senior in high school and opened a craft business there and would sell at markets and little craft fairs and they would make signs for homes or like dolls and all kinds of things so they both have this kind of artistic background but would never label themselves as artists and in her adulthood you know once my sister and I moved out of the house my mom really leaned back into crafting and she's kind of a jack of all trades. She'll pick up any craft 
that she's interested in and she can do a little of everything. So one of those interests that began, I think my freshman or my senior year of high school, freshman year of college um, was macrame for her. And so she went a crafting retreat that was about fiber. It was a fiber crafting retreat. And there were a macrame artist who she really wanted to learn from. And there was also some weavers. And so while she was there, you know, she got to buy a few like looms and yarn and stuff and brought it back. And I had been in fiber art before, but didn't really know how to start. And so my mom brought me this really small, I think it was six inches wide loom and showed me the most rudimentary, you know, basics that she had learned at this retreat. And we just sat one evening and I wove a really wonky little tapestry on this loom and had a lot of fun. And it was just like a great crafty time with my mom. And so then she gave me that. I made a few more pieces for fun. It's kind of like a therapeutic crafting hobby. And then that was going into my sophomore year of ETSU, I declared my art minor and realized we had this whole fiber program there where I could learn on a floor loom and learn dyes and things like that. And so that's, I I took those classes at ETSU for three years and fell in love with it. Absolutely loved it. And during that time, you know, weaving on a floor loom for school and then having my frame loom at home that I could do these very different type of tapestries on, I feel like I got a really good grounding in both the technical and like the fun, playful part of weaving. And then during the pandemic, I had a lot more time to to weave and focus. I graduated in 2020 and just had a lot of time to play around, you know, as I think many people did. And um, yeah, I feel like that's kind of where I got my footing, I guess, in the, the fiber world. It kind of connects to the tradition of fiber arts absolutely in both this region and in general where yeah. it's women familially like teaching one another yeah because it's like the work of women to create this these exactly. objects exactly yeah. I get so emotional when I think about it you know you go in antique stores and there's all of these hand quilted incredible quilts that were love and the tradition of I mean quilt making weaving a lot of it was communal. You know, there would be quilting tables and there'd be people under the table, people above the table, passing the needle back and forth. Or with weaving, you know, everyone had their looms. Everyone, everyone's grandma, you know, was making textiles or table runners, napkins, etc. And it's just, and then teaching the next generation and it's so special. But it's definitely undervalued and it is yeah, just underappreciated historically and kind of written off as craft versus art, which I think has to do with kind of the utilitarianism of of textile art. It was things people needed. A lot of people, I think, who are, you know, quilters or weavers would not necessarily call themselves artists or creatives, but BS essentially, Um, (laughs) you know, like they're, they're so talented and their work a lot of the time just sits in antique stores or flea markets and it makes me so emotional. I love, it's a great passion of mine is like buying, you know, hand embroidered napkins or hand woven tablecloths or runners, you know, because someone put so much time and thought into this and it is just not being valued. It makes me so sad. Yeah, I think it's like, there's definitely a utilitarian aspect was how things were made. Yeah. Um, in Appalachia, like the tradition of weaving on barn looms yeah. to create your own woven coverlets and so forth, which you can see at the William King Museum of Art. Yes. Um, <laughs> ha- like carried forth kind of farther 
historically than it did in other areas because there's yeah. like a lack of like in, industrial absolutely um, presence yeah. in this area but it was it was necessary and i think that there's like i always believe like there's maybe three aspects to the like undervaluation artistically of traditional fiber crafts like quilting weaving um knitting is that one it was necessary it was utilitarian mm-hmm. two it was women's work exactly and it was women were not considered great artists if you think of the genius the concept of the genius like close your eyes and picture genius artists throughout history yeah they aren't women and it's not because women were not creating things um and the third reason i think also is that they're non-representational yeah so the style of generally like excluding i guess embroidery sometimes but Mm -hmm. the style created when you're making a quilt is like by nature geometric Mm -hmm. it's not a fine refined painting Mm -hmm. which is sometimes what's most valued but then Mm -hmm. even if we continue into like the era of modernism um when these works can even be inspiration behind like massive modern artworks yeah they continue not to be valued other aspects as well valued as i think as fine art Mm -hmm. because there's definitely a distinction and continues to be this is a big debate really if you go into the if you're outside of the esoteric art and art history world it's like what are you talking about but there is a constant big debate really since like maybe most recently since the 70s continuing like on the border between art fine art and craft yes yeah yeah I remember when I started focusing more on fiber as my art minor I had family members that were like well you know that's essentially like that's fun and all but you're really good at drawing you should do more drawing classes I was like, but art in the in like fiber art is just as valuable and just as like integral as mm-hmm. being good at drawing. But there's this disconnect for people where they're like, well, that's just like a fun hobby, or you know, you could make something to put on you know to put on your bed. But but why not focus on you know more traditional fine art quote quote of drawing and painting and you know they're just the they just didn't understand mm-hmm. why I would want to focus on this when I could, you know, focus on essentially real art, you know, mm-hmm. of, of these other mediums. It's something that I think about about a lot as um, a fiber artist. And it does, I think, affect my ability to proudly be like, oh, I am an artist. You know, it's something that I and I think a lot of women who work in these specific um, mediums. Yeah, it's this, this struggle to refer to it as not just like diminish it or say, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's just a fun thing to say. Oh, well, could you just make me? You know, could you just knit me a sweater? It's like, you don't understand how much time and craft and skill has to go into that, you know. It's just a devaluation. But I'm hope I'm hopeful that it's changing. There are a lot of conversations happening, and I think weaving in particular is really having kind of a renaissance right now, along with macrame. And I think people are finally starting to come around to it. Quilts are having a moment. I'm feeling optimistic. Much like the 70s, I think we're having like a little fiber art revolution. Yeah, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's... The conversations are happening and mindset is changing. I think it's worth, um, people who are listening to this is worth like kind of thinking about how you consider fine arts versus crafts and like not that you have to have any certain opinion about it, but it's an, really intrigued to kind of investigate and think about because we don't often delve into that if you're, I guess, outside of the art world. Mm-hmm. I think about it every day, but <laughs> that's yeah. not normal. Yeah. Um, and there's something that I, I really love about areas like craft that are like traditionally women's work there's a lot of culture within it Mm -hmm. and also a lot of folklore 
and so forth connected to these forms of creation. So one that I tell people when they say, can you knit me a sweater? Because I'm also a knitter. So I've heard that before. Oh, yeah. Is that there's a, a folklore that like you cannot knit a sweater for someone. It's bad luck to knit a sweater for someone who's not in your family or that you're not married to. Really? I didn't know that. And that if you knit them a sweater, they'll leave you. <gasps> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm a new knitter, so. So you should tell people that. If I they will. Say, <laughs> you have to knit them a sweater. Say, I can't knit you a sweater unless we're married. Oh, my God. Or else you'll leave my life. And that's that's the, the kind of. I love um, that. The. Like a superstition. The superstition. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So there's a superstition that you can't knit someone a sweater. And I think part of the superstition, though, is that it's so much effort to make Mm -hmm. a sweater. It's expensive. It takes months. And you don't want to devote that to someone who just is asking it of you flippantly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of, uh, that's why I like that superstition is because it's a way of elaborating on that idea for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't give you all of this if you're going to leave me. You have to be attached to me forever or else you can't have a sweater <laughs> made by me. That is – yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know. I have so much more I could say about just the kind of the community aspects of fiber art and the traditional – I don't know the word I'm looking for here, but – I was saying kind of like folklore, the folk beliefs connected to, to this work. Because there's also something yeah. um, I think of like magic in it. Yeah, absolutely. Like being as a word that means creating something from nothing. Yeah. About weaving and also, you know, knitting, things like that in particular is you're taking something like a strand of yarn Mm -hmm. and you're making something with it that is that is beautiful, that is structurally sound, that can be used or looked at for years and years and years. And I think that especially with, you know, fast fashion and like you know you can buy a woven tapestry from target or something i think that's really lost on people today is kind of the yeah the magic of it and the fact that somebody you know took these really raw materials and made something amazing with it and had vision and had talent and yeah made something special and that's why it's always like you know that's why it's more money than the tapestry (laughs) at target you know is it's like so much effort goes into it. It's like, Everyone. in that sense, empowering, I think. Too. Yeah. Because it's um, learning the skill to create something with your hands. Exactly. And, and if you go into spinning yarn, even, yes. or if you go into dyeing, yes. it's like you're re- literally kind of creating something with your own hands and realizing the amount that humans can make without mm-hmm. necessarily the help of the autom- automatization that we're used to. And I think that's that's... A big aspect of it for me. And when you look at older tapestries, things that were made before the Industrial Revolution, you know, garments, you know, they took cotton, they took wool, they processed it, which in and of itself is so much work, <laughs> then dyed it, spun it, then took that yarn, made garments, made bedspreads, made tablecloths, quilts. They made it the whole thing from start to finish. And nowadays, I think the the refinement of that is just kind of a lost art. And everyone who did, you know, some form of, of fiber art, it's always funny when I'm, if I'm working in public, what people will call weaving. And it's always whatever, you know, like, oh, are you crochet? Oh, are, are you, I've gotten literally any, all of it, mm-hmm. knitting, um, embroidery, you know, and I'm weaving. A few times I've gotten weaving, <laughs> you know, are you weaving? But it's always, oh, well, my grandma, I think, 
it all ties back to the women's work and um, devaluation of, of the craft versus art. But oh, I just oh, I care so much <laughs> about it. Yeah, I think um, a fun here's a fun experiment for for listeners. Um, if you have cotton balls at your house, you can take a cotton ball and pull it out between your hands and use your fingers to spin it and you can make a cotton yarn by hand and you can you could dye that using coffee mm-hmm. something stuff in your house you could create it into something and that's kind of a it's actually kind of fun thing to do and you might notice it's kind of hard of course it's a lot easier to use a spinning wheel um, once you know how to use one it's not easy to use one it looks easy but it's not um, <laughs> but it's a lot faster to use tools, but you might get a sense of how spinning connects those fibers, how things are made, just by like having your hands on it. Mm-hmm. So I like to recommend people try that when they have like an interest in in fiber and, and creation. That's so fun. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to be a fiber artist day to day? If you're out weaving in public or connecting people to your work, what does that look like? For me, I think that. It all kind of ties back to the idea of of bringing education and understanding to the importance and integrity of handmade goods, especially, again, in a world where you can go to any big store and buy these things mass-produced. I think when people see you making them in public, for example, or at when I have my stuff at markets or something and people walk up and they, they touch it and they feel... I like to think they can feel the put into it and the, you know, time I've spent learning these skills and the appreciation and respect I have for before me. I think it all comes for me, I guess my passion is is educating people on how much work it is, you know, to make these everyday items. And yeah, for me it's really about kind of continuing that tradition of creating handmade goods and passing down the the things we learn from generation to generation. You know, I come from a, a lineage of strong female artists who would never call themselves artists. And I would like to be part of the group that kind of breaks that down and is like, no, we are we are artists and we are gonna like continue this this cycle of raising children who have an interest in art and who are encouraged to their creativity and are encouraged in that, which I'm very thankful I was. Do you meet a lot of people who ask you, like, how can I learn how yeah. to do fiber arts? Oh, absolutely. We're very lucky today because there's so many resources. And earlier, like, weaving's having a renaissance. And you can very easily learn to weave without paying very much money, especially on a frame loom, which is the type that I use for tapestries. You can make one yourself. You can go to a thrift store, buy a wooden picture frame, buy some nails, and then just space them, look all of this up on Google, and space them, you know, this many nails per inch. But look up a YouTube video, warp a loom for the first time, and then weave. And you'll craft boxes, which of course are like a little more expensive, but they come with all the tools you need. Yarn is always at thrift stores. You can always find yarn at thrift stores for nothing, for yeah. so cheap. And it's really, yeah, it's a very accessible medium in that way, I feel. Um, you can certainly shell out big bucks for fancy tapestry looms and expensive roving and yarn in the beginning, but you don't have to. I love this. There's a woman named Lindsay Campbell on, she has an Instagram and a YouTube channel under the name Hello Hydrangea, and she does intro videos. Um, she has two books 
and she taught me a lot on um, tapestry weaving and I'm a huge fan and every time someone messages me on Instagram or stops me at a market and asks you know how can I how can I get started could you teach me I'm always like I do not feel qualified to teach however this woman has incredible resources kits free tutorials highly recommend if you're interested she's got everything that's awesome. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you work with natural dyes? Oh, yeah. So I learned kind of basics of general dye in school um, at ETSU. But natural dyes kind of got my attention via a workshop that I did actually at my old job, which was uh, Echo View Fiber Mill, which is now closed. But they used to do natural dyes workshops and all kinds of other crafty things but they grew all the dyes on their property and then they would show you how to harvest them you know some of them need to be dried etc um but that workshop was so cool to me and it was right after I had just started to learn to weave too so kind of like we were talking about earlier seeing you know dyeing the yarn yourself and then I've used it for years to weave with the yarn I made in these workshops. And there was something just so magical about that. It felt like it felt like when you're a little kid and you're in science class and you do like your first experiment, you know, because it is it is science and experimentation. Um, but yeah, so I primarily work with plant-based dyes. I think in my arsenal right now I've got like Matter, Osage, Kutch, and then Indigo. I also have cochineal, which is not a plant, but a bug. And that one is kind of the most fun to talk about. But I feel like a mad scientist every time I do it, which is so fun. And it turns out a little different every time because it all depends on, you know, pH and weight of fiber. And yeah, it's just, it's very different from weaving because weaving is so structural. And, you know, I know what it's going to look like every time for the most part. And dye is kind of where I get to be a little kid and play around. It's a good time. That's that's great. Yeah. Is there? Do you feel like there's some artistic or like I don't know why I can't think of of words today, but more metaphorical <laughs> connection to using plant based dyes rather than synthetics? Yeah, I definitely do. First, just right off the bat, is um, the colors that you can yield from a natural dye. I find so much more connection to because they are delicate and natural and they can be bright and they can be just as vibrant as a synthetic dye. But something that's really cool about natural dyes is not all last. And in a way that's frustrating, but I also think it's it's really cool and it's really special because it, it just changes over time. And, you know, then you have to go through the process again and you kind of watch it go through these cycles of, of being dyed, and then you you use it, you wear it, and then over time it fades. And then you do it again. I don't know. I just think that's – I think it's beautiful, and I think it is kind of a nice – Cycle? Yeah, it's yeah. very cyclical, I guess, mm-hmm. and it feels to me the impermanence of it I think is, is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Are you Appalachian, would you say? I – technically not. I don't, I don't think I could technically qualify. Um, my, neither of my parents were born here. They both moved here as adults, but I was and raised in Johnson City. I never moved away. And I I have so much passion and love for the area and I'm so grateful to have grown up here that I think my soul is Appalachian heritage. Um, I think that counts. Thank you. Yeah. 
I have a lot of love for our area. I think um, people are starting to catch on. But I, I grew up in this amazing, you know, that it's we were kind of tucked away and hidden. And for a long time, we were off the radar, not super known, um, especially like the Johnson City area, you know, aside from the college. But it's this little haven, you know, there's feels untouched by a lot of stuff going on in the world. And the weather is, of course, like you get every all the seasons. The mountains are beautiful. There's so much nature. I have some friends that grew up in cities and then came to ETSU for college and they get excited when they see like deer and fox and and I do too of course I mean they're just they're amazing but it's also just I always forget I guess can kind of take for granted the fact that growing up outside in the morning or you know you know at night there'd be raccoons on our porch and stuff right there and you could see them um and it just kind of feels I don't know I feel like we're all like Snow White in a cottage in a way. <laughs> like this is, the Appalachia is our cottage and the animals are just, you know, around and it's just peaceful and there's babbling brooks and, and the culture is amazing too, of course. Haven't even touched on that, but. I feel like. Yeah, it's just a great area. There's this, um, I think something that honestly to me connects to our current moment of craft revival is the very trend um, on the internet of like the cottage core aesthetic. Yeah. And I had someone say to me the other day, well, Appalachia is cottagecore. Yeah. It just is already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're on trend. Absolutely. We've we've been the moment. We've they, been just, the mo- they didn't know. They didn't know. There's people who have been doing these craft rival crafts continuously in yeah. this area. It's Forever. basket weaving, weaving, um, yeah. fiber arts, natural dyes. Absolutely. Um, and also just the connection to nature, I feel, is, is really strong. So. Yeah. It's... Um, there is such strong artistic roots here, and we haven't been on the map. And a lot of the work that's been created here historically has been quilts and, and fiber. But, yeah, I have such appreciation for it. And I think I think our area does appreciate fibers in a way that many places don't because of the fact that, you know, we have all grown up around it and we've seen it um, and everyone's. You know, maybe my comment earlier of everyone's grandma did a fiber craft. Like, maybe that's just an Appalachian thing. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I can't speak for, for everybody. But definitely around here, I feel like, yeah, everyone's grandma knew how to do all of these things. And, I mean, William King is a great example where you go and go in a museum and there's just a whole exhibit of, of quilts and coverlets and all these things that were made in our area. And um, you can look around everywhere and see craftsmanship for sure, in, in which um, is just something that's been really special. To, and it's all very handmade and generally mediums that are underappreciated. But yeah, I love it. And handmade furniture, like there's so much cool stuff. Definitely. In our area. So where can people find your work and where can people find you? Well, if you want to follow me on Instagram, my Instagram is Maddie Cousy, K-U-Z-I. And I currently vend at Milket in Jonesboro, Tennessee. I just started having my items at a new store in Johnson City called The Generalist. It's on Main Street. They're amazing. Go check them out. And I'm really excited because I'm also going to be available at Holler House in Bristol, which is opening very soon and just encompasses everything that we've talked about in this episode. Yeah, and Holler House will be open on Main Street in Bristol. Yes. You can go check out many of the artists who you've heard on Art Speaks uh, work there. Yeah, it's a really awesome space that Brian's created. I'm excited about it. You can find my work there at Etsy shop with the links in my video, but it's also just Maddie Cousy on. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Maddie. Thank you for having me. This was a good time. You're listening to uh, 90.7 WEHC. This has been Art Speaks, a production of the William King Museum of Art in Abingdon, Virginia. 
Tune in next week on Thursdays at 1 p.m. to hear us talk with local artists. Thank you.